0: Hey, welcome to the New Life Podcast, we're so glad that you could join us. New Life is one family, many churches, and we're located in Brisbane, Coolangatta, Moreton Bay, and Rabina. And we exist to simply see more people, more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. I'm excited you're joining us because we are in our Vision series. And at New Life, Vision Sunday is not about what we're launching, but rather being reminded of who Jesus has called us to be. Over the next two weeks, we will look at what we believe are four key discipleship priorities that are central to what it means to see more people, more like Jesus when this happens we believe God will usher in renewal in Australia as we outwork his plan and heart for our church welcome to Vision Sunday and enjoy the podcast
1: 30 years ago a small group of people gathered in what was nothing but farmland at a place called Rabina on the Gold Coast with a dream A God dream to see a community that was Christ-focused, Spirit-led, Scripture-fed, and obedient to the Word of God that they might see transformation in their community. 30 years later, that small group has become something else. And some of those small groups are still with us today. Kathy Hartwig, Grant Dempsey, Agnes Miller, and many others. And that small group saw God over the last 30 years do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. It's been 30 years since that first service this year. 30 years of baptism, 30 years of mission, 30 years of prayer, 30 years of serving the lost, the last and the least, 30 years of seeing the lost come home and know they are loved. 30 years of God doing far more than we ever could have believed in those first days. But 30 years later, New Life is no longer just a geographic location in Rabena. It has become a movement a movement of churches across Southeast Queensland that share the same strategy, vision, mission, and beliefs. A movement that is passionate about the lost being found, that is passionate about every name having a story and every story mattering to God, that is passionately believing God is not finished with Australia yet, that through repentance and renewal, we can see a mighty move in and through the Uniting Church, a movement that still exists to see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. But here's the trap. Here on these Vision Sundays, we can believe that a Vision Sunday is about a new idea or a new program. And here's my conviction. I don't believe that the vision or mission of God has changed or shifted. Some Vision Sundays, in fact, four years ago, we, we did announce that we'd become a church planning movement, believing that every region across Australia would have a new life church. And four years later, we have Brisbane, Rabina, Kool and Gata and God is doing far more than we could ever have hoped. But this Vision Sunday, we believe that the call of God is not to reimagine the mission and vision of God, but to return to it. See, the church of God doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, Therefore go into all the world, making disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This heart for Jesus' church, for Jesus' disciples, hasn't shifted and is still the heart that drives new life today. So the question we've got to ask is, what does it mean for us to be disciples who make disciples? To see more people more like Jesus? Well, this isn't a new idea. Vision Sunday is this realignment, recapturing of the vision and heart of God. And we believe that we need to consistently be reminded of four things that it means to be a disciple. Four things that it means to become more like Jesus that these four things that we will all be passionate about will be gathering the lost, growing in community, growing as a disciple, and going on mission. Friends, these are not just pithy statements that I value, or that you might value, but that we prioritise, believing that as we do these four things, gathering, growing, growing, and going, we'll become more like Jesus and dare to believe that over these two Vision Sundays, we will increase in our fervency and desire for discipleship, that we might see a move of God in our time, that we might see more people more like Jesus. New life. Welcome to Vision Sunday. Would you jump to your feet as I read the text for today? If you want to stand up with me, that would be fantastic. For those of you who are new here at New Life, you wonder if we do this every week. And friends, I just wanna create space. I know and recognise that you've all come, either joined online or in the room, from very different worlds and different moments. And this just gives us a moment to still our hearts, focus our attention and draw together around the Word of God. Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 29. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of His body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission, Paul writes. God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature. Everyone say mature. mature. In Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. When I say this word, of the Lord, we usually respond with raucous energy. Thanks be to God. We'll try it one more time. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, let's pray for the word today. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank You that Your Word is living. It, is, uh, it, it cuts, it carves, it forms, it shapes. It never returns void. Lord Jesus, I pray, would You help what You've placed on my heart today and in, in Your church come to fruition that we would become who You've called us to be. We acknowledge Your presence here, Holy Spirit. May we hear Your voice today. Your kingdom come, Your will be done. Less of me more of you, in Jesus' Name. All God's people said, grab yourself a seat, friends. We are in Vision Sunday, Part 2. Now, if you're like, wow, Part 2, this is exciting. I wasn't even here for Part 1. Well, then you are in for the ride of your life today. Last week, we kind of said, hey, the vision at New Life, we, we're moving towards renewal. We wanna see God bring renewal in our time. To do that, we're about our mission. And our mission as a church is to see more people more like Good, great. 8am was more awake though. So just saying you've had a couple more hours sleep, try to get more people more like? More raw, because I can even hear online. Thanks for joining in. There's this moment where we, we call ourselves to be more people more like Jesus. And that saying, more people more like Jesus, is actually really just how we explain at New Life what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple, we believe, is to grow increasingly like Christ. And to do that at New Life, What we believe we're called to do is to be a part of becoming more like Jesus, that more people might become more like Jesus. And so we kind of have these four things that we think every follower of Jesus, if you're new here today and you're wondering what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, then we think it means you're passionate or growing in passion in four areas. That you're growing your passion to gather the lost, to glue in community, gathering the lost, being caring about those who don't yet know Jesus. Gluing in community, it's not just serving on a team, although it is that, it's about caring about the hospitality temperature of our church. We believe you're a follower of Jesus. You're going to be growing as a disciple. And finally, we believe where we'll answer, you're gonna go on mission. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to gather, to glue, to grow and to go. But I wonder who here remembers what it was like to learn to drive a car? Great, some of us. In fact, most of the retirees in the room, which down the back, I'm just saying, there was no participation, no participation. So either you grew up on a farm and it was a wild world for you, or we all kind of had that moment, right? We learned to drive a car. Now, when you learned to drive a car, I guarantee your mum, your dad, or your instructor, unless, you know, you're one of those families, didn't drive you to the highway, merge onto the M1, pull over in the slip lane, hop out, pass you the keys, and say, figure it out, and then leave you alone with the car. Could you imagine, the str- some of you, your hands are sweating right now. You're like, that would have been absolutely horrifying. Why don't we teach people to drive cars like that? Because it would greatly increase the death toll on our highways, it would be horrible. The, the, driving a car is an insanely complex idea. In a similar way, I remember um, the smell of acrid smoke Um, from the clutch when my father was teaching me how to do a hill start. Does everyone remember learning how to do a hill start? Yeah, if you drove an automatic, you have no idea. You have no idea the pain that we went through. And I remember as the smoke filled the the cabin of our car, after 20 minutes of riding the clutch, trying to find the accelerator engagement point, my dad's like, turn the car off, turn the car off, turn the car off, Michael. And from there on in, I never got a hill start wrong ever again. Now, why did my father teach me? Because hill starts are difficult. It takes a process to learn. Similarly, when you teach your kid to swim, no one that is a good parent just pushes them in the pool and go figure it out. You know, We teach them, we're like, this stuff isn't easy. It doesn't come naturally. Yet somehow in the church, people respond to Jesus. And it's almost like, well, you're a Christian now. Figure the rest out in 30 minutes on Sundays. Just you work it out. And we've got to recognise that for some people, that's like a 16 year old getting past the keys to like a Volkswagen Golf on a highway being said, just merge in, you'll be fine. They get overwhelmed with the reality that following Jesus, friends, is not as simple as I think sometimes we make it sound. How do I know this? Because when Jesus was teaching people to follow Him, He came to 12 guys and a bunch of women And He said, come follow me. And He took three years of life on life, 24-7 time to teach them what He knew. And even at the end, they still continued to get it wrong. And we get surprised when people come to follow Jesus and suddenly their lives look nothing like Christ. And we're like, oh, are they really saved? Maybe they just are trying to learn. In fact, I want to challenge you when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the men and women who had spent three years with L plates. But what we find out in John chapter 14, what we find out in Acts chapter 1 is that Jesus doesn't seem to take the L plates off them. He never says to Peter, mate, you're finished. Now go tell other people how to be finished. He says, "Now I've given you the Holy Spirit to remind you of my teaching, to continue to give you instruction, to continue to mould you and shape you. See, here's the truth, friends. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're admitting I'm under construction. I'm still learning. Unlike some of us, as we drive cars, who probably still need to admit that we have a long way to go in how we drive. You never finish learning in the kingdom of God. When I drive to Palm Beach, and I get frustrated at the traffic. Why do you think I'm getting frustrated at the traffic? Because the majority of that highway is still under construction. Who's believing that's gonna get finished before Jesus comes home, amen? <laughs> like I'm down, that's exciting. That joke always keeps giving. I could say it every week and I feel like everyone on the Gold Coast would be like, going, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, please Lord come now. Like there's this moment, right? Where you get frustrated, but there's a sense where you go, oh, this, this is under construction. And so too, that's us, but as, As Christians, sometimes, and for those of you new to faith today, you you aren't yet a Christian, I'd love you to lean into this moment. Just hear how we need to see ourselves as those followers of Jesus. We pretend like we're finished, but we're not. Which is why the third of our discipleship priorities is we want to grow as disciples. And it hit me this week when people were telling me, you know, at every point in the sermon today, we're gonna pause and we're gonna write down how we feel God challenging us. Some people shared to me last week when they had the moment to write down how they're gonna grow in gathering the lost, they just chose not to write anything down because it was too hard. And it wasn't really on them. It was someone else's job. And what I've heard in Christianity is sometimes when Jesus says, hey, to follow me means to care about the lost, we can go, ah, I just don't know how to do that. So I won't bother learning. Whereas what Jesus says is like, actually, I care about the lost. I care about these things. If you're my disciple, instead of saying, I don't know how, what would it look like for you to say, Jesus, would you teach me? I don't think sharing our faith comes naturally to many people. But there's nowhere in the Bible where it says it's only meant to be for some, to be ready whenever asked to give reason for the hope that you have. And so it's a burden on us, I think, for us to remember that discipleship is the role of all people who are following Jesus. Not only to make disciples, but to be disciples. Neil Cole says it like this, ultimately each church will be evaluated by only one thing, it's disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. Listen to this, it does not matter how good your praise. And I thought Lisa and Julie and the team did such a beautiful job this morning, but that's not how our church is judged. It's not as good as your preaching, praise God. Why did you laugh? <laughs> it's not as good as your programmes or property. and We have a beautiful property here. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic and not radically obedient, your church is not good. I wonder if this is a good challenge for us here today at New Life. What makes you wanna call New Life home? Oh, well, he's got a great kids ministry. I agree. But I don't think that's the judgment of a healthy church. Oh, well, i really, they do really, they sometimes sing hymns and sometimes modern stuff. They just get the balance right. I don't know if that's the judgment of a healthy church. That Michael guy preaches enthusiasm, doesn't he? He sees me falling asleep and gets louder. It's really helpful for staying awake. It's really good. I don't think that's a judgment. The judgment of a healthy church is, are we becoming more like Jesus? That's it. Every one of us. Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, uh, he's talking to them about the stage of their discipleship. And he writes and he, he kind of calls them out in a moment. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse one to five. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people. This is Paul the pastor writing to a well-established church, the Corinthian church. I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit. I couldn't address you as people who are walking with God, he's saying, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. What's he saying? Guys, you've been, you've been following Jesus for a while now, yet when I come to teach you, I'm still feeding you what we feed babies. He's kind of an, analogizing, you know, when, we, when a child is born, when my, child, my baby is born, Bonnie, she's just started solids now, but, but for the majority of her life so far, the first six months, she's been on milk. Why? Because that's what she needs. But as she grows, her needs grow with her. As she matures, she starts to eat more solid, mature food and wrestle with things that maybe a young baby can't as she will grow. When she's 30, it would be weird if you're like, oh, what's your diet? She's like, I only drink milk actually. People be like, oh, that's, that's, that's not actually n- normal. Your body will need more than that. And this is what Paul's saying. Some of you have not submitted and surrendered yourself to Jesus. So when you talk about God, we're staying at a surface level. So I'm just treating you like babies. I'm calling you to be adults. I'm calling you to wrestle with the deep things of the faith to not just go to Alpha, but don't stay at Alpha. To go deeper and wrestle well. Friends, are we becoming more like Jesus or are we just doing the bare minimum of what it means to be a follower of Christ? Colossians 1 verse 28 to 29, our key text for today. Paul goes on, he says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone. What's Paul's desire? With all wisdom that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, Paul, the pastor says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Friends, Paul has this idea where he's like, if you're following Jesus, you're growing in maturity. And can I be honest with you? The more I grow to become like Christ, the more I am am aware of how much further I've got to go. The further I follow Jesus, I don't become more satisfied. I'm like, man, I'm pretty like, I mean, there's a couple things about me that He could work on, but I mean, look at me, I'm pretty good. I was talking to a man in the courtyard, a retired man after the 8am service. We were just reflecting. He said, Michael, I've been following Jesus for many years now. And the more I follow him, the more I realise there's so much more to learn. The L plates never come off. Why? Because the L plates keep us close to our instructor. They keep us close to our community. They keep us close going, I've still got space to go. friends. I do It doesn't bother me if you've been coming to church for a year or for 40 years. Do you know there is still work to be done? We are all under construction. And the world out there, when we say to them, hey, I'm still under construction, they go, oh, praise God, because there were some things I had a lot of questions about. We're like, no, 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 I'm still learning. Don't come and do what I do. Come and let me show you what Jesus does. One of my favourite books um, that I read my son is a book about David, the statue of David in Venice. Not in Venice, it is in Florence. And there's this beautiful part of his story, I've mentioned this before, where it kind of analogizes how Michelangelo, the great sculptor, brought David forth. And he looks, he says that Michelangelo came and he looked at the big marble block of stone before him and he saw everything, hear this, he saw everything in the big block of marble stone that wasn't David and began to chip it away, that he might reveal David. And as I'm reading this to Archer, I'm like, Archer, this is about sanctification and growing like a disciple. This is beautiful. He's like, he doesn't understand any of it, right? And I'm just like, I'm having this beautiful spiritual moment because I realise that's actually a beautiful description of discipleship. You are saved if you're a follower of Jesus. It means that you've come before God and said, I, God, I'm sorry for my sin. He says, I've paid the price for for your sin. There is no shame. There is no condemnation now for you. But the truth is, friends, some of us, are still sinning. In fact, hands up those of you who have just conquered sin, just like it's not an issue for you anymore. That was a nervous moment for me because I'm like, who's gonna lie today? Who's gonna lie right now? And, and there's just hands up for those of you who in your walk, you've got hundreds of disciples following you. People, you just like evangelise everybody that you meet. You're reading your Word like so long every morning, deep in prayer. You're loving your husband, your wife, or you're in single and glorifying God with every part about you. And there's just fruit just coming out of your world, left, right and centre. Hands up if that's your story. Great. So really, all of us, have parts of our life that are not yet Jesus. And discipleship is the process when we submit ourselves to the Sculptor and say, hey, remove that, remove that's what, not you. That doesn't make sense. Remove that, all that is not of you, Jesus. Jesus, What part of my life doesn't look like you? What part of my life isn't who you've called me to be? Move it away. Not because I'm not saved, but because I'm not only saved, I'm becoming like Christ. So here's the ultimate question, friends. Where this year is God calling you to grow as a disciple? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to pull out the card. Our Connect team will be wandering around and they'll be ready. And there are three ways I want to challenge you to grow as a disciple this year. Number one, do you need to submit to the Word of God? Do you need to submit to the Word of God? Do you need to genuinely actually bring the fullness of your life under the authority of Scripture and say, God, show me what is not in line with Scripture? It'll be on the screen behind me. Secondly, do you need to submit to the Spirit of God? Christians, followers of Christ, when was the last time you lived a Psalm 139 prayer where you said, Holy Spirit, what in my life is not of you? Show me. Show me that I might work with you on dealing with it, on confronting it, that I might become more like you, that the world would be blessed. And the last question is this, do you need to submit to the community of God? Friends, every Tuesday morning at 6am, I meet with my small group at a um, cafe in Cooma, and it's hard. We're all young dads. Like we've all got like little babies that wake us up through the night. So most mornings aren't coherent, but there are some mornings where we just, we, we, we talk about, hey, how is God teaching us to grow? And we talk about how do you read your Bible? Like when your kids are screaming all the like, you know, we just process. The reason why we do it is we live life on life together because it's really hard to be discipled in a vacuum. Now I think some of you need to be challenged right now to submit to a local community, not just a gathered Sunday, but a small group. Or maybe even just turn to your husband or your wife or your partner or a friend and ask him this question. I guarantee you, this is a very hard question to ask. Go up to someone who knows you and say, hey, where in my life is there something that looks nothing like Jesus? What, what, what part of me is, is, is looking nothing like Christ right now? I think it's a really hard question for us to ask, but I know this, your marriage will be blessed by it. Your singleness will be blessed by it. Your family will be blessed by it. Your work will be blessed by it. And God will be glorified because of it. Why don't we pause now and before we write, let's ask the Holy Spirit, what part of our life do we need to grow in? I can tell you what it is for me right now. I know what Sarah would say if you were to ask her. I'll ask her again when I get home, see if I got it right. It'd be my grumpiness. Man, I can be grumpy. Any other grumps out there? The Lord sees you. You're special. You are loved. And I just said to Sarah this year, I really wanna grow in the fruits of the Spirit, wanna abide more in His presence that I might become less grumpy and more joyful. Boy, that's hard. But you know what? The Spirit is gracious enough to walk with me through it. What's He calling you to grow in? I probably wanna encourage you, it's probably not finances. It's probably not career. It's probably more like Christ. So as you pull out your card, Jesus, we just pause right now and ask, where are you calling us to grow more like you, to become more like you, to reflect your Son, your beauty and your goodness? We submit that to you today. If we're online, Lord God, I pray we take this seriously. Would Would we just ask a question and pause, maybe write down on our phones or on a piece of paper, how am I called? How is the Holy Spirit calling me to grow as a disciple this year? In Jesus' name we pray. Just take a moment to write that down now. If you didn't get a card, why don't you write it down on your
2: phone? Holy Spirit more like Jesus. Every day a little more like Jesus. I crucify my flesh with yours, then my new life might be secure. Everything I do. So I can honor you. Resurrect me, sanctify, make me into your image. Make me more like Jesus, Holy Spirit. Jesus, every day a little more like Jesus. Crucify my flesh with yours, then my new life might be secure. Everything I do, done so I can honor you. Resurrect me, sanctify, make me into
1: Jesus sanctify me. Make us into Your image today. For You love us enough to save us, but You don't leave us. You lead us to become. In Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're actually joined on platform right now by um, Pastor Anna and some of our Catalyst cohort. Uh, And the the Catalyst cohort you see before you are actually a group of people who last year didn't just take discipleship seriously for a year, because discipleship's longer than a year. They believe that they're called to be emerging leaders or established leaders in our church and in God's Kingdom. And they wanted to give their life and say, Jesus, would You shape me and make me that I might be used by Your Kingdom for Your glory. And, and each one of these people on the stage in front of you giving given up a year of time, of money, of space to just say, God, do with my life what You will and so before you as part of the Catalyst Cohort for 2023. And we wanted to celebrate they finished a year of it and uh, in very may commission them into what God has called them into in their life. Would we celebrate and congratulate the Catalyst Cohort for 2023? <laughs> Thanks, Anna.
3: You'll notice that uh, on the screen behind us, there is a lot more names than there are people here. And that's because Catalyst is something that is run over all of our churches. Uh, And we had a cohort of 30 people last year who, uh, as Mike said, were dedicated and intentional about what it looked like for them to grow as disciples. And one of the traits that we see in all of our cohort is that they are hungry, that they are hungry for more of God. And uh, the fact is that that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't just happen happen on Wednesday nights and at retreats, but it happens uh, in all of their worlds, where they are planted in their workplaces, in their homes, uh, wherever they are. The transformation that the Holy Spirit has done in them uh, filters out into their life. And so uh, one of the things that we mentioned is that because of these people doing Catalyst, our church is going to be uh, fuller and our home expression of Christ will be deeper and our personal relationship with Him will be stronger. And so uh, Uh, It is an absolute honour this morning to be able to stand here and congratulate uh, a representative of our cohort from 2023. So we're gonna hand out some certificates if you guys wanna give them a big hand. We have Liz, Kian, Courtney, Steph, Lisa and Joe, all graduating from 2023. Well done guys, we're super proud of you. Would you join with me as I pray for them? Lord, I thank You that uh, You continue the good works that You've placed in us, that You are so dedicated to our uh, forming and shaping into your likeness. And Lord, I just thank you for what you have begun and uh, continued in each one of the uh, cohort members from 2023. And Lord, I pray that your spirit just breathes upon them and continues to grow that hunger for you, Lord, that insatiable desire to know you more, to uh, walk closely in your footsteps. And Lord, I pray wherever uh, they are placed and the dreams that you've placed on their heart, will you continue to fan that into flesh? Continue to give them a a grander vision for what life and adventurous faith looks like with You. And Lord, I pray all that You have sown over the last year, all that You have shown and revealed to them, Lord, I pray that You will continue to increase their desire and curiosity around what it means to follow You wholeheartedly. We pray this all in Jesus' Name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks guys. congratulate these guys. They head off the platform with us today. On, on the stage in front of you were elders. Uh, Liz Jervis is one of the elders with staff. We've got Courtney Kian and others. Then we just had people who lead in our church. You saw Lisa Walker leading us in worship. All different walks of life within in our church, dedicating a year of their life to becoming the leader. God has called them to be in ministry and marketplace. But here's the beautiful thing I love about each one of those people, is that they've taken so seriously the call of God in their life, not just to gather, not just to glue, not just to grow, but the final call of discipleship is to go on mission. Go on mission. I heard a story this week of a lady who found herself in a law firm. And as she was in this law firm, she was uh, working hard and she'd done many things with to, to kind of earn the, the position and then to prove that she was worth the position. But in the first couple of months, she made a critical error in her job that would cost her her job because she was still on probation. And she realised that she went to tell her supervisor when he reported it up the chain, There was no other way other than she would be terminated. She would lose her position. She was shocked to find that when her supervisor went to tell his supervisor, went to inform of the mistake that had happened, he took complete responsibility on himself. He told the supervisor that he was to blame and that no one else should receive any blame for it. It meant that he lost the opportunities that year for advancement, but because of his tenure, his job wasn't affected. Shocked and surprised by this, this lady goes to her, goes up to her supervisor. Said, "Why did you act that way?" He he deflected her questions at first, but she kept pressing. So he said, "Why I'm a Christian? That means, among other things, God accepts me because Jesus Christ took the blame for the things that I have done wrong. He did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes that ability to take the blame for others." She stared at him for a long moment and asked where do you go to church? And he said, new life. No, I'm kidding. He didn't say that. But it would have been a great story if he had. And that story reflects kind of the heart of where I want to step into. Friends, we are called to gather the lost. We are called to glue in community and hospitality together and love one another. We are called to grow as disciples. But ultimately, our discipleship will lead us to go into secular vocation environments to be and minister on behalf of God. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, He gets with His disciples on a hill. And as He's standing there, they look to Him and they're like, what's next, Jesus? This is crazy. You died on Friday, rose on Sunday. Are we gonna go kick Caesar's butt now? We can't wait. They turn to Him and say, Lord, is this the time that You're going to restore the Kingdom of Israel? They're saying, are we ready to march on Rome? Jesus turns to them and He says, it is not for you to know the time, Or dates, the Father has set by His own authority. Here's what He says, listen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to be my witnesses in your city, to be my witnesses in Judea, but to be my witnesses in your country, to be my witnesses in Samaria, to be my witnesses in the country that you don't really like, to be my witnesses in New Zealand. To my witnesses in the world. I know that joke still gets old, so that's fine. You didn't laugh at it. I understand. 8am, I should have learned my lesson. And to the ends of the earth. she's Jesus saying here? Here's the plan. You're the plan. Point to the person next to you and say, you're the plan. Now turn to that person and say, don't point. That's rude. <laughs> you're the plan. See, sometimes when we hear this verse, in fact, in our church, we have an Acts 1.8 ministry. Our Acts 108 ministry are the people who have felt the call in their life to go to the ends of the earth, our mission partners. We've got Rose and Polito who are over in Cambodia doing a great work. We've got John and Stu Herschel there leading a YWAM base in Battambang. I actually spoke to Stu yesterday. He's doing fantastic things. We've got Baron Davies who, who's pioneering a school and, and building soccer fields and loving people so beautifully well in Cambodia. We've got people like uh, Siami and Sawitri in, in Thailand who will continue to see God do exceptionally more. We're resourcing and funding things like Justice Water where villages in Togo that don't have access to clean water, we're seeing God put clean water in those places, like Dina in Bosnia, who's believing and loving Muslims in different faiths and communities over in Herzegovina, Bosnia. These people are taking the words of God seriously and going to the ends of the earth. That's so good, but here's the problem. We sometimes look at them and go, great, that's their job. Jesus didn't look and go, okay, Peter, Matthew and Andrew, you guys are gonna go be my witnesses in the world. Did He? No, no, no. He, He seemed to say to everybody, You. So we're like, oh, so to go on mission isn't just to go overseas, it also means to go join a church plant, which is great because we're a church planting movement. We're just about to launch officially New Life Morden in a couple of months. Later this year, we hope to send out another church plant. But our mistake can be to go on mission means that we've got to go and do a new thing the church is doing, go be planted in a new region. And friends, I praise that some of you will go on one of our next church plants for the sake of the Gospel and the glory of God. But every time we plant a church, we say it very clearly, everyone is called to go. If you're not called to go to Morton, if you're not called to go to Cooley or to Brisbane, you are still called to go to the Gold Coast. See, the problem is, friends, is we think that being a missionary means that we've got to go somewhere else rather than live faithfully in the ways of Jesus where we are. A man once said, You're either the missionary, you're either a missionary or the mission field. You're either a missionary or a mission field. And we confuse the word missionary. I love how Jim Elliot describes a missionary. He just simply says this, missionaries are very human folks just doing what they asked, are simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. That doesn't seem to need a passport. Leslie Newbergen goes on, he says like this, I think that the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. What a, like, Let me just read that again. I, I love this definition. I think the deepest motive for mission to go on mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where He is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. What's He saying here? He said, you wanna know who's actually on mission? Those who long to be where Jesus is. And I pray today that you would hear me clearly. There is a full-time mother or father in the room right now who is looking after their children, who needs to know you are where Jesus is. Right now, on mission, in your home. There is a surgeon today who's going to surgery this week that thinks mission is something people do overseas. I want to tell you, you are a missionary in your workplace right now. There is a CEO who's entered to a boardroom filled with politics and evil intentions this week, God would say to you, you're on mission. This is to the retired, the mother, the doctor, the single, the bricklayer, the social worker, the retail assistant, the Uber driver, the unemployed. All of us are called to join on God's mission. We have this weird thing that we think to be on mission is something that pastors do or missionaries do and the rest of us just get to do whatever we want. And that's not true, friends. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to go on mission. And to do that, just for the next couple of moments, I want to remind you that we need to redeem a theology of what it means to work as a Christian. Because here's the truth, friends. God created work, amen? amen. That was the hardest amen I've ever had to get. 8 a.m. was even harder. Let's try it again. God created work, amen? amen? Some of you are like, now you're forcing me to say something I am not happy about. How do we know this? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we read this. By the seventh day, God. This is before sin, before evil had broken out into the world and destroyed all things. This is God in His, God in the world as the world is in a perfected state. What do we read? By the seventh day, God had finished the. He had been doing so on the seventh day. He rested from His. Now he's not resting from something evil. God doesn't do evil things. He's saying work and rest were created by God to be enjoyed by God because they are both good things. Tim Keller says, In the beginning then, God worked. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but it was beneath the great God Himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have a more exalted inauguration. God didn't just work, He created us to work. Genesis chapter 1, 28 says this, God blessed them. He's talking about when God created Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And literally, that word subdue literally means make the earth useful for the benefit and enjoyment of others. This on the screen before you is what theologians call the cultural mandate, which is the permission given to humanity, go and create beautiful things out of what God has created. Friends, work is not an evil we need to avoid. It is a good God has called us to redeem. We are called to work. It is the mother who is raising her children to bless the world. It is the carpenter who's making wood into beautiful tables. The university student who applies himself in the hope of innovation and blessing the world. It's the retiree. Listen, friends, you are not too old to be on mission ever. The retiree who volunteers to serve with others or has cups of tea or plays cards or goes, plays bowls on mission, always wanting to bless those around them. It's the CEO who leads innovation and economically vibrant and ethical ideas. It's the NFP leader who creates new ways to serve the marginalised and the oppressed. This is what it means for us to live out God's mandate for us to work. Here's the problem, friends. Sin ruined work. In Genesis chapter 3, We see Adam and Eve no longer think about others and the world. We see them start to place themselves in the centre of the picture. Sin ruins work because sin makes work ultimately selfish. Hey, do a job that you enjoy. Do a job where you get paid what you want. Do a job where it's your dream. Do a job where you get. And God never called you to focus on work being about you, but work being about a blessing to others. I just want to challenge you today. Some of us hate work so much because we've allowed sin to pollute it. Sin makes work pointless. It means we don't see there being any real motivation behind work other than a paycheck. Sin makes work become fruitless. We we don't long to see good work come from us. We just try to get through our shift and make the weekend. Sin makes work become selfish. We work to serve our own needs And we don't prioritise others. Sin makes work become idolatrous. Work becomes our identity, our goal, and we sacrifice family, rest, and money, and time at the altar, of furthering our career. And Christ has come to redeem work. He's come to say, you were not created to be enslaved, but to create beautiful things for the world around you. You have come to show the world that you can even flip burgers at Hungry Jack's in a way and in a manner which glorifies God and blesses the world. You were created, friends, to know this what you do matters and how you do it matters that's why paul writes in colossians chapter 3 whatever you do everyone say whatever you do work at it with all your heart no you can stop you there it'd be really long <laughs> Let's open up Leviticus, go there. No, yeah, work at it with all your heart. So working for, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, you're retired. Whatever you do, you're a mum. Whatever, you're a father. You're a bricklayer. You're a street sweeper. You're unemployed for a period. Whatever you do, you are on mission. For the glory of God and the good of the world. Friends, too often we've allowed to to think to ourselves that what I do is more sacred than what you do. The role of the church is not that everyone looks at the pastor, it's that the pastor and the staff and the church might serve you in your calling, in your ministry, where God's called you and positioned you and equipped you to be his hands and feet in the world. What happens outside these four walls is just as sacred as what happens within it. And we believe that. Friends, what you do matters and how you do it matters. And I'm so sorry when as a church, we've made it seem like anything other than church is not a holy, sacred conviction because church is not an event, it's a people on mission for God. Dorothy Sayers says it like this, in nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She has allowed work and religion to become separate departments and is astonished to find that as a result, the secular work of the world is turned to purely selfish and destructive ends and that the greater part of the world's intelligent workers have become irreligious or at least uninterested in religion. But is it astonishing? How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine tenths of their life? The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined him to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make beautiful good tables. Tim Keller says like this: work is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people thrive and flourish. Here's what it means for us to be on mission. What you do matters. And how you do it matters. I wish I knew this, that when I was in school, I was a pain in the teacher's butt. I know, shocking, who would have thought? It's like, I'm such a good kid. But like, I was really annoying. And, and here's what I know, I would know, be a worship leader, at chapel service, or whatever, be a lovely Christian. And then I would go and just be annoying for the rest of my day. And God convicted me of this as I grew up to realise that even when I was a student, teenagers, when you to listen to this, even when I was a student, even though I didn't enjoy school, that was a way I could have glorified God and I chose it to serve my own selfish means. Friends, you might be a Hungry Jack's Burger Flipper or you might be really hating your job as an executive with a large salary right now. There is no one in this room that is not called to use the work of your hand to glorify God. You have been positioned where you are for a purpose, for a reason. So those people around you might see someone on mission going, you watch what happens when I glorify God and create beautiful things for His glory and your good. The world will be blessed. We need to turn surgical rooms into altars of God's grace and goodness, teaching classrooms into encounters with the Holy Spirit. We need to teach people who are creating beautiful things with what they write, what they read, what they create for their business, their home, their work, their degree into moments where just the excellence they bring to it glorifies God and blesses the world around us. J.D. Greer says it like this, Whatever, you, whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Friends, what you do tomorrow matters. How you do it matters. You're a mother tomorrow and you're worried about what that's gonna look like and like you've stepped back from a vocation. No friends, where you are is on mission right now. You're doing something so valuable for the Kingdom of God. You're sweeping streets tomorrow, that's for the Kingdom of God. You're retired tomorrow, that's for the Kingdom of God. Martin Luther King says it like this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. What you do matters. How you do it matters. It matters. And that's what I believe. You are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. Friends, my prayer for this church is that we will be a place that is passionate about discipleship in its fullness. There are different parts of this that some of you have over the last two weeks been like nailing that, not writing anything down today. That must be so lovely. Love to meet you. But for most of us, we need to recognise that there's not one part of this discipleship journey we haven't been called to. You are all called to gather the lost, to glue in community. But the story doesn't stop there. To grow as disciples, that we might go on mission. We are called to become like Jesus. Why? Because the world is tired of looking at people who just look like the rest of broken humanity. They need to see Christ. Are you on board? Vision Sunday is a moment where you can work out what we're doing as a church and where we're heading. This is who we are. We gather, we glue, we grow and we go for the glory of God and the good of the world. We're gonna see more people become more like Jesus. Are you with us? So tomorrow, how is God calling you to go on mission? How is God calling you to take His mission seriously? Why don't we pause for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show us how Acts 1 verse 8 is our story. You have been given power, friends, wherever you go to be God's witnesses in His world. If you hold your card for me, let's pray. Jesus, over these next few moments, we would be prepared to write down a discipleship commitment here. Would You lead us? Would You guide us? Father, if we already feel like we're doing this, would You put someone on our heart that we can disciple to teach what it means to be on mission? Would You help us to make a commitment to stir up this in others? That we would see more people more like Jesus for Your glory and the good of the world. In Jesus' Name we pray, Amen. Friends, as you're led, why don't you ride on the card?
2: Here I am Lord, send me on the mountain or the valley, I will choose to praise, here I
1: Jesus, we join with Isaiah when we pray, here we are, Lord, send us. May our response be faithfulness to Your Gospel of goodness and grace. Lord, take away everything that's not of You, that we would become unique, beautiful images of God as You called us to be. In Jesus' Name we pray. Friends, I just wonder in this moment, I'd love to finish today by praying. For all those of you who know what it means to go on mission, or maybe today God's called you and you realised you might be flipping burgers, hungry jacks, maybe you're retired, you're going to lawn bowls this week. Maybe you're a part-time or full-time parent or carer. I believe there's people in this room right now who I, I really wanna pray and commission you for the first time or again, to just join with you and stand with you and say, what you do matters, how you do it matters. Do it for the glory of God and some strategic for the Kingdom of God. If that's you today, you know you're called to live on mission or you feel for the first time God's calling you to use what you do for His glory. Would you stand to your feet? I would love to pray for you today across this room. Would you stand now? This isn't a trick question. This is for all those Christians who follow Jesus who know you're called to a ministry in your, in your secular vocation. For teachers, for doctors, for lawyers, for mothers, for fathers, bricklayers, street sweepers, accountants in Jesus' Name, Amen accountants probably wouldn't say it out loud, but yes, Amen. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. If you're you're standing now, would you just stretch your hands out in front of you? Lord Jesus, right across this room are people who are acknowledging that they are called to go on mission, to be on mission every day of their life. God, I pray right now, would you commission them to see how their sacred calling is just as important as any calling in the Kingdom of God. I pray right now that they'd make beautiful tables, write beautiful documents, lead beautifully and glorify You that people come to know You because the way they live on mission. Lord Jesus, would You go with us, that we would serve with You on the edge of the Kingdom and on the beginning of the usurped dominion of the devil, that we would see Your Kingdom come, Your will be done here on earth as it is in Heaven. Commission these people in Jesus' name for what you call them to do. We pray.
0: Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life podcast. If that stirred something within you and you'd like prayer, or maybe you'd like to join us in the mission of seeing more people more like Jesus, you can contact us through our website, church.nu, or you can reach out through our Instagram or Facebook pages. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.